Hi, this is Dustin Hobbs, and welcome to Connect, the California Mortgage Bankers Association's monthly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with headliners and movers and shakers in the mortgage mortgage banking industry. Today, I'm really excited. We've got Dr. Abraham Park from Pepperdine University here with us. Uh, Dr. Park, I've known Dr. Park for a number of years now, and uh, he's been instrumental in helping us build and uh, sustain our Future Leaders program. So I'm really excited to hear uh, what his uh, thoughts are on our industry and beyond in the uh, financial markets, and uh, what he thinks about uh, the future of uh, mortgage bankers, because he's seeing them all at uh, Pepperdine here on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Before we get into that, though, I want to thank our sponsors at the Real Estate Services Trust. Uh, So uh, it's mid-2019 now, so we're about halfway through the year. And uh, it's, it's suspected to be a tougher year than I think it's been for some, but uh, with unemployment at uh, the rates that they're at, uh, as an employer in the industry, you've got no choice but to make sure that you're doing what you can to attract and retain uh, valuable employees. It should be a top priority for you. And I, you know, from the California MBA's perspective, a competitive, competitive employee benefits package could be the solution that you're looking for. So we partnered with Marshall McLennan Agency, a nationwide leading brokerage firm, to form, to form the Real Estate Services Trust, or REST. The program provides real estate services employees competitive and affordable benefit plan options. And by delivering a quality benefit package, you can attract and retain those talented uh, team of employees without exceeding your budget. You don't want to blow up your budget, and uh, uh, this will help you do that. So if you're an employer with 20 or more uh, enrolled employees, you might be uh, eligible to take advantage of large group purchasing power without being a large company. So to find out if that works for you, to find out if you're eligible, click on the link below or in the description and find out. All right, so let's uh, get started here. Dr. Park, again, thank you for joining us here today on Connect. I'm really excited to uh, uh, have you on the program today. I've, Like I said, I've uh, known you for a couple of years now and, and uh, you one of these things where I've always tried to figure out a way to get you more involved with our with our group and, and highlight you to, to uh, the members. So really excited about well, it. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to, to speak with you today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, real quick, just a quick background on Dr. Park. He is the Associate Professor of Finance and Department Chair of Accounting, Finance, and Real Estate here at uh, Pepperdine University. Uh, he's taught courses on uh, real estate investments and finance and corporate finance at the MBA level. And his current research is related to REITs and uh, corporate real estate. So he's right in our, in our uh, uh, wheelhouse for sure. He's got over 12 years of experience in a variety of industries that includes law, Silicon Valley uh, tech startup venture, management consulting, hedge funds, and global real estate finance. And he holds his uh, PhD from uh, University of Cambridge, his uh, master's in uh, uh, philosophy from University of Cambridge, his JD from uh, UC Berkeley, his master's in public policy from Harvard, and his BA from Berkeley. So uh, I think more than qualified to talk about all the things that we want to talk about. So uh, let's jump right in. So there's a lot to talk about in the industry and in the uh, economy, where things are headed. But uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, uh, I always like to find out you know, what, where, what drew people to uh, the places they're at, what got them into the, either the companies they're at, or in this case, uh, the uh, university here. So Dr. Park, what's, what's your background? Thank you for the invitation once again. Um, so growing up in an immigrant family, uh, I never thought that I would be an academic. Um, so after finishing um, studying economics and law at Berkeley, I studied uh, practice law for a little bit, but quickly transitioned to business and finance. Um, and after having done that, I worked in, uh, in Asia also, and, uh, and then started working in London in real estate finance while doing my uh, PhD there. 
and that I was headed to uh, to to the uh, U.S. office of the firm that I was working uh, in in London, uh, but then I was introduced to Pepperdine, mm-hmm. uh, having become a, a Christian uh, as a freshman in college. Um, I uh, I always wanted to see if I can combine my passion for for Christ and values and, and my education, and uh, I did not know that much about Pepperdine, but have, after visiting Pepperdine, I thought this is a place that I can I can do both. And uh, ever since I started, uh, never looked back. So that's how I found myself in the in the academia. Um, and then, having worked and taught in a variety of um, areas in finance, in law, and, and real estate, I tend to gravitate towards real estate education for our our new students, especially um, as I see a lot of um, opportunities in the real estate space for for average students and and people. Um, that I see for wealth creation and and finding great opportunities for entrepreneurship there. So I end up uh, gravitating towards real estate as something that I'm passionate about, something that I promote. Awesome. Thank you. Right on. So uh, tell us, uh, Dr. Park, what's, uh, in your your view, what's the the top story in the economy right now? So for me, the top story in the economy is the trade war with with China and also with Mexico. Um, And just briefly, my view is that you don't start a trade war unless you have leverage. So, and I believe that U.S. as a nation um, has leverage, and there's not enough coverage in the news about that. Um, And so, I think that's probably the top news. But and also the timing, the timing of the trade war, and perhaps when the the tariff will be um, removed. Uh, The timing of that will be a a really important thing for us to to look out for um, as we go forward, because that's going to have a huge impact. Huge, yeah. Well, and you know, just for our, our listeners here, uh, you know, this is one of the problems with doing a monthly podcast and not a daily podcast. Mm-hmm. The news literally this morning was uh, that uh, you know it seems like there may be some movement between uh, the U.S. and Mexico on tariffs. So by the time you're watching this, <laughs> what we said may or may not, uh, you know, may have already come to fruition. So, right. uh, so uh, let's uh, look at the sort of the longer picture. Where do you see things going in the economy over the next twelve to eighteen months or so? Yes, I think, uh, well, since the election is in 18 months and America votes with the economy, and as much as the economy can be stimulated by the administration, uh, I think there would be protection in the U.S. economy for the next two years for sure. Um, And imagine with with a lot of pressure on the Fed to lower the interest rates, and if they do end up lowering the interest rates, and if President Trump removes the tariff sort of in the early part of 2020, boom, I think there's going to be a huge... Uh, growth in the economy going into the election. So, so my guess is that uh, pretty positively that the U.S. economy will be will be okay as much as it can be stimulated and uh, and uh, stirred by the by the uh, the administration. So I think we're good for the next few years. Doesn't sound like a bad electoral strategy either. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, um, let's uh, let's look more at uh, the uh, business climate. I, I'm always curious. Uh, your, uh, to hear your thoughts on uh, sort of the overall business climate, and particularly in California, mm-hmm. um, we've got a uh, you know it's a high barrier to start a, a mortgage company in California, in general, and mm-hmm. specifically in California. So, what are your thoughts on sort of where we're at uh, climate business climate wise? Right. So the question is: Is a mortgage business a commodity or not? Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. difficult to have a sustainable business if you just have a, if you're selling a commodity. So the key thing that I I want I think is to to, to really think strategically and hard about what is your differentiating value so you're not just a, a simple commodity. And I think when you come down to it, you're going to have to embrace the, the changing digital economy, first of all. And then it's branding and customer service. 
So that's what needs to be embraced to make a differentiation for the value. So I think the focus has to be there um, and, uh, and, and not treat your business like a commodity. I think that will be the key. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, what, do, what would you say as far as uh, you know, what are those factors, what can be those uh, characteristics of a business that are not necessarily, you know, can't be commoditized? Mm-hmm. If I was starting a business, what should I look at as far as what can I build that can't be, you know, taken away? Exactly. So I think you're going to have to really embrace um, technology, first of all, uh, and to create uh, entries to, to barrier. But usually in, in this kind of a space, branding and customer service provides that differentiation. So the focus has really has to be there uh, in, in creating barriers there and mm-hmm. sort of customer stickiness, um, like as we, especially yeah. for the younger generation that's coming up. So, um, because unless you, you make a differentiation there and they will, you know, it, they'll see it as a commodity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the uh, millennial uh, uh, generation now is the biggest home buying, uh, you know, cohort right now. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, you're right. You just, we have to uh, target them for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, uh, home building and affordability? Are, what are your thoughts on uh, where we're at with that? I mean, we hear public uh, officials all the time talk about where we're at with affordability and the challenges there. I mean, do you see any any you know reason to hope that that'll be improved in the next couple of years in here in California? Yeah, so I'm not sure. I think affordability and, and a lot of talk about that, it, it's a political issue more than anything. It can be relieved through changes in zoning, um, as LA downtown, as we saw what happened there. Mm. And so unless the zoning is a change, I think it's just going to be a lot of political talk. But um, I do hope that there will be some changes along those areas um, for allowing for um, you know, uh, more denser, denser uh, population and, and housing in various places that need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think so. But other than politics aside, I think that will solve a lot more than um, just a few, few um, affordable here, homes here and there. That, yeah. Yeah, well, the uh, the political challenge is a big one to get through, but yes. you're right. That I think that is the, the biggest challenge overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the uh, the biggest um, sort of factors in uh, the really, especially in what we've seen in the mortgage industry in the last couple of years, is there's been a ton of uh, mergers and acquisitions, and the industry has really consolidated over the last you know ten years or so. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, you know do we is that something we should see continuing in the next few years? You know, and what about you know in other industries? Is this, is this specific to us, or is it going on you know sort of overall in the economy? I do see it overall in the economy, um, but M and A activities are usually quite cyclical. And when the economy is doing well, um, you're seeking either value or growth through M and A and portfolio diversification, as well as making a strategic move because of positioning you want to have in your industry. And I think. Um, at the moment, um, that is, is, is part of the big strategy that's embraced by, by the companies. But it is cyclical, so um, depending on the outlook in the economy and what's going to happen for the next couple of years, uh, there will be changes. But I think it will continue. Um, I, I see that as uh, something that will continue to happen in all industries as well for the next few years. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what about the, uh, so looking maybe a little more global now, what about uh, international financial markets? What, what do you see as being maybe a, an underreported story or, or maybe the top story for you? Yeah, recently I, I took a bunch of Pepperdine students to, to Oxford, um, and the big news in the UK is, of course, Brexit. And so we were able to uh, take a poll before going to Oxford among the students what their view is on, on Brexit. And mm-hmm. most of them were against Brexit, 
Um, but uh, among the speakers at Oxford that we were able to get, we were able to hear from both sides of pro-Brexit versus uh, those who want to leave, both in business, both in finance. Um, and after hearing, the arg um, hearing both sides, and at the end we took another poll among the students, and most of them were um, convinced to be uh, pro-Brexit. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, so I, I think the interesting huh. part is just that the, there's a reporting uh, maybe there's underreporting in the reasons for that for for not only UK but perhaps um, sort of national uh, independence and sort of anti-globalism would be bad for your economy and, and that's not necessarily true and so I think that's something that our, our global trips can also give you in terms of different kind of perspectives so I think we see one one side but uh, we were all um, grateful to to hear from from both sides and there are, there is good reasons for that so. Um, something like that would be, I think, I see as an underreporting. Uh, so, looking at uh, uh, Brexit specifically, is that something that uh, I mean, the anti-Brexit uh, folks would say that if if uh, you know they leave the uh, um, the EU or at least economically, mm -hmm. that it's going to be a crushing blow to the economy? I mean, but maybe not. So, what's your what's your thought on that? Yes, it's interesting to see that if you look at who's support, who's pro versus who's uh, who's uh, wants to remain, and it's not just a matter of um, the liberals versus conservatives. It's 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 both sides that also support and are against against uh, a leaving, and it's it's purely based on um, which economic sector derives most of its business from from Europe, mm -hmm. or it's, or other parts of of the world, and, and that's what's um, splitting those uh, the division there. Um, I think the the important part is that. A lot of all the trades that go to the UK, it has to go through the EU, and that allows that does not allow the UK to make um, negotiations with with countries on their own that might be beneficial to them. So um, the key would be if they were to have a Brexit, which is going to take a while uh, to unwind that thing, if, if, even if that were to happen. The key is whether they can form alliances directly with with the US and also Asia, and if that can be done. Um, the, the the impact won't be as much as um, people believe. Hmm. So, but it's gonna, it, as you know, it's going to be a long process to see how how that come, come, comes out to be. But there's general movement for a lot of different countries as well wanting certain independence. So it, it'll be a uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Was it? I'm mean, just one more uh, thought on Brexit. This is very fascinating to me and mm -hmm. someone who's totally removed and only you know catching you know headlines here and there on on Brexit because it isn't been had hasn't been as covered probably as well as it should have been in in our press um, is that something that the average person in Britain when you guys went there in England is that something that they understand that you know when we do this it's going to take a long it's going to be a long process or is that something that I know in America when we you know vote on things sometimes we you know expect that change will happen instantly and you know it rarely does is that something how do they uh, take that yeah, I, no, I do think they, they think it's going to take a while. But um, a lot of the people who are, are uh, millennials, they've only experienced uh, living in, a, in an EU community. Mm -hmm. So they don't know what it's going to be like to be separate from that. Fear of and the so unknown. So yeah, there is, so there's a lot of the fear of the unknown, plus not understanding how, how long it might take. So, um, so there's certain unknown and uh, uncertainties about that. But, but they do know that things take a long time in the UK, so... Yeah, well, they've been around for a while enough, so they've yeah, you know, they, so. our uh, our sense of a long time is not necessarily uh, mm -hmm. what they would consider a long time. Uh, 
So uh, getting back to uh, um, maybe some uh, more local here, sure. actually as local as it gets here at Pepperdine, we're on, on the campus right now. Um, we've been, you know, like I said, we've been uh, very proud to have been partnering with you and uh, the school here for the last few years uh, with our Future Leaders program, and it's really added to the program and made it, you know, a, a big success. So I'm curious, you're dealing with the quote, future leaders of, uh, you know, the in, of our industry and every industry every day. What's your thought on, you know, the next generation of uh, business leaders? Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there are certain personal traits and certain tendencies we see at, at our you know, schools. Um, a lot of the younger population, as I, as I notice, they are a lot freer uh, and they're freer to explore. And they want to find more meaning in their work. And they're, they're seeking for something that they can believe in. And because of uh, some of these natural uh, tendencies and characteristics of, of the younger generation, they, our, uh, what they are interested in when they come to Pepperdine Business School is oftentimes entrepreneurship. And they, they don't necessarily want to belong to a big organization and stay there for a long time like my, my generation they was. They want the gold watch. They want their own freedom to explore their individual gifts and talents. And so they are very interested in entrepreneurship and they're interested in values. And uh, as Pepperdine uh, Business School, we, we really emphasize the importance of values and ethics and what kind of value are you values are you bringing to the world? And, and those tend to ring true for a lot of the younger population. So I, I notice that I think it, that's exciting as the world is changing so fast. And the key is can you sort of embrace the digital economy? Do you have digital intelligence? Do you have emotional intelligence, financial intelligence, global intelligence? And I think those are some of the four factors that we like to uh, embrace at our school to mm -hmm to meet the needs for our students. And, and also, uh, when the economy is doing well, a lot of the young people don't choose to go to MBA because um, they have a job and they don't want to lose a job. So That's there's true. a general decline in, in the trend of, of MBA, but also sort of changing what should be taught at business schools as well. So mm. we're going through a lot of redesign, but exciting redesign to actually bring industries into school a lot more. So it's not just a, an academic a course, but a, a real applied experience. More practical. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what we're doing now, and I look forward to to see a lot of the exciting changes that are here as well. That's so. interesting. Well, and it, it's very curious to me, you know, the uh, um, sort of the outlook of, of uh, millennials, and and now we're talking even uh, Gen Z, that uh, you know they're very entrepreneurial. It's very interesting because you know on one side from you know, the mortgage and real estate uh, um, level, you, you know there's been a lot of angst over the last few years about when are especially millennials when are they going to get into the market when are they going to start and there's been a lot of thought that there's you know some major hesitancy on their part and and uh, caution. But you're telling me, yeah, I mean, they're also very interested in starting their own business, and that's, I mean, there's no more high risk move than that. Yes. So that that's very interesting that they sort of, you know, uh -huh. they they do have a, uh, a you know appetite for some risk. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and I think because of that, you know, generally they'll have a less stable income, and they they, they expect to have less stable income when they are becoming entrepreneurs, and so the tendency is to kind of delay their their home purchases, um, and but at the same time they are they. There's, there, there is, they should be able to see the importance of real estate for, for, for them and for homes and what real estate means, uh, especially when our nation has a uh, growing debt. The only, basically, the only way to 
to handle current economies unless the GDP is growing faster than the rate at which our national debt is growing, there's going to be inflation. And how do you protect against that? Um, and you need, you need real estate. And, and I think they are willing to see that. And that's something that I educate here for the millennials, especially. And you need time, especially mm -hmm. in the area of real estate to build wealth yeah. to, and to, to preserve wealth in, in hard assets. So that is something that I see as, as wisdom that our young generation needs, even if they are who they are. So um, I hope they see that. Mm -hmm. Right on, right on. So, uh, so then I guess let's, uh, you know, this is sort of a, usually we ask a, a millennial question, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm curious, I mean, since you're dealing with not only millennials, you're dealing now with you know, Generation Z, and that's just starting to sort of bubble up in uh, mortgage industry conferences, and, and uh, as they reach that, you know, they're in their, you know, barely into their, their 20s here. So what do you, are you seeing any difference in generation between Gen Z and millennials or what's your thought on that? So I have both in my family. So I'm millennial and Gen Z, there's, there seems to be a clear difference. Um, Gen Z's, well, millennials really embrace a lot of online and, and they're really used to doing a lot of um, online purchases and um, Gen Z, on the other hand, is seems to be gravitating more towards um, experience. Mm. So, when they encounter somebody face to face, or when there is a, a contact, that matters to them a lot more. And and rather than branding, also they are interested in um, authenticity and sort of individualism a lot more mm. for Gen Z. And so, as we see that trend um, happening more and more. I think businesses will gonna we're gonna have to go more than just, you know, like targeting uh, millennial trends. It's probably more important to focus on how Gen Zs are are turning to be different than the millennials as a as a generation of people who never understood uh, a war or what it means to have mm. conflicts. Yeah, um, and uh, where they are finding their um, their their um, sort of source of purpose and. and um, individuality from and I think um, they're looking for something to believe in and also at the same time they want they want freedom and individuality so that's something to, to think about and um, yeah and, and sort of embracing of the uh, the digital economy and the in the automation will be more pronounced in, in Gen Z generation so um, that's something that I will that I, as a school we emphasize for, for education as well as most businesses. If they're too slow in that area, um, uh, maybe they're, they're too slow for the big wave to, to come pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's interesting. It sounds like there's a, uh, while there's you know, many mortgage companies that are still trying to adapt to millennials, mm -hmm. it's almost like they need to already start yeah, be adapting, yeah, adapting to Gen to Z. To Gen yeah. Z. Uh -huh. Absolutely. So it's something true for, for us as well. We are, as an institution, we're trying to adopt online education. but. Perhaps even before we are fully online education, the Gen Zs are, are mm -hmm. different. They might be mobile education. So um, it's, it's, it's important to pay attention to, to the different characteristics of, of, of the Gen Z. Right. They're different from millennials, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, maybe we'll uh, check on check with you here in a couple of years and yes, find out what the absolutely. what the update is. So, yeah. Dr. Park, thank hey. you so much, thank Justin, you. for the opportunity. Yeah. All right, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time on Connect. Mm -hmm.